So, um, big news. I was at Cinephile Video today. Ah, Cinephile, on the other side of town. I was in Westwood, swung by Cinephile. Guess who now probably owns a used copy of Avatar on Blu-ray? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, I almost want to go, is it White Boy Day? Yeah, it's White Boy yeah. Yeah, if, if I'm buying, if I'm getting, if I'm scoring Avatar, I use Blu-ray. It's White Boy Day. <laughs> I think it's White Boy Day. I like the the soyification of Drexel. <laughs> Yo, I received this movie. It's called Avatar. It's got these blue guys. That's like, oh my god, do you ever see? Do you ever? Do you ever see the movie Keanu? With like, that's like a Will Forte in that movie. That type of joke. That would be I, very good. I love. I do love the like tentacles of the supporting characters in this movie like mm-hmm. ever like they will have a, a white dude with dreadlocks playing a terrible pimp mm-hmm. in movies for forever just oh yeah to pay homage to drexel in the same vein that apparently um apatow's entire pitch to rogan for pineapple express was what if the entire movie was from floyd's point of view Oh my god. <laughs> Which makes perfect sense. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is like, yeah. That is, that, is, that is what Pineapple Express is, basically. Yeah, I mean, like, James Franco and Seth Rogen were like two halves of a Floyd in that movie. You're like yeah, 100% right. Like, okay, so what if the stoner guy was in on the action? It's <laughs> the entire, <laughs> entire thing. Oh man, which is why, uh, as funny and good as that movie is, this movie is a little better because Floyd ain't gonna sit up. He's on the couch. He's staying. Pineapple Express is never happening. I really, I think Brad Pitt really understood the couch. I think he was up for the couch. Oh, he wanted man. to lay on that couch. He, yeah, hottest, he wanted the hottest of couches. Uh, God, he wanted to lay on that couch. He wanted to smoke out of that honey bear. Oh man, such a good prop. Maybe if I, that is like the only prop I think I would. If I went to Planet Hollywood. And I saw I like the honey bear from True Romance. I would, uh, I would do an Ocean's Eleven. I'd try to steal think, that honey bear. I think bear. there are a lot of items from True Romance that I think would be cool to see at a Planet Hollywood. Gary Oldman's dreadlocks. Gary Oldman's dreadlocks. <laughs> Christian Slater's like army jacket. Ooh. Um, oh, yeah. the Val Kil- the the mentors, uh, you know, the suit. Suit. Uh, Brad Pitt's bong. <laughs> <laughs> the cor- the corkscrew. <laughs> Oh, that'd be pretty good. Yeah, the corkscrew. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actress' esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. And I'm Patrick Remion. And Patrick, welcome to the Academy, and I just gotta say it, you're so cool. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> He's so cool. Both you and our and former guest Paul Heredia, very cool dudes for stepping oh! up last week. Thank you. Both of you guys, the coolest, for doing a late night vigilante record, a movie I have not <laughs> seen in um like sixteen years, but I still. <laughs> but every time it's brought up, I'm like cool movie. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a fun I feel like we were like maybe a little harsh on it it's a fun there's some really cool moments there's like a really I love uh, Fred Williamson's eye like stares in that movie his eyes are always like really big he's always really mad he he's 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 like such a welcome presence 
every time he shows up in a movie because it's just like, oh, he's gonna fight somebody, he's gonna say something cool, like, you know, yeah, like he's gonna do some weird kung fu. Oh my god, there's this great moment. My favorite moment in Vigilante is when he like he's like chasing one of the goons and he like goes over like a chain link fence and he gets on the other side. And he immediately does like kung fu, kung fu yeah. moves, and it's just like, ah, only that's the thing. That's all I wanted from it. Just a little more of that. If, if Fred Williamson was just doing that every other minute, mwah, ten out of the, ten. The one they covered on Tarantino's podcast a few weeks ago, Blind Rage. Um, it's about um, the crack team of five blind men who rob a bank. Um, it's as good as it sounds. Don't that, it's one thousand percent as good as it uh, sounds. But uh, on the poster, it goes and Fred Williamson, and you're like sitting there, like, man, I think we're like hour, hour and ten minutes of this hour and a half movie, and I have not seen Fred yet. He oh no, he shows up at the end to bust him, and it turns <laughs> into he becomes the star of the movie. The last ten minutes of the movie, it's great. Wow, it is a I perfect guest appearance. <laughs> special guest star fred williamson got a moment but uh... yeah it's like the matt damon uh oh wait spoiler 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 uh it's like the matt damon cameo in interstellar you gotta love it yeah yeah <laughs> i love that one though too that one's a little different because fred it's like he's coming to kick ass and damon's is like it's so smart on nolan's part because in like damon's like so the entire movie and hathaway on down is like he was the best of us. He was the best pilot. He was the best scientist. The guy with the like, and then you get introduced to Matt Damon. And it's like, oh, you know, I trust Matt Damon. He's like a good guy. And then when the swerve goes down, you're like, oh, that is good casting. It's a real trick. It's yeah, real, it's uh, real tricky. It's, like, it's very good, very that tricky. This, that this that this guy is kind of a weak slime ball, actually. <laughs> He's evil. Yeah. Well. He's lost it. He's been stuck on the snow planet for a very mm-hmm. long time by himself, and and it's completely hopeless. Yeah. Oh, it's totally. And it, they do a great job of like, they like giving you his like perspective. We're like, yeah, yeah, like from my he he's like one of those. He's smart enough to able to logic himself into uh, believing that him destroying Matthew McConaughey is actually like the best thing for, for like america humorous. for the for human race yeah. for humanity yes. yeah yeah for humanity. yeah no, it, and he's talking, it rules it's 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 great it's terrific obviously we're fans of that movie we're not talking about that movie today long last we are talking about 1993's true romance from director tony scott with a um crackling script from quentin tarantino um a absolutely like one of the greatest casts that maybe ever assembled. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It's and from everyone from the established seventies heroes in Christopher Walken and um, Dennis Hopper to like only in the nineties stars like Size Moore and Chris Penn and Michael Rappaport to. Ooh. Version two, a star making. We thought we saw it in Thelma and Louise with a star making turn, but I would say that James Gandolfini's star making turn in this movie is just as impactful in a completely different way. <laughs> yeah, not not quite a hunk the way that uh, Brad Pitt was in Thelma and Louise, but still <laughs> no. incredible. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> You're not gonna forget him anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, it, like you know, basically to get to the 
the other story here is that, you know, we mentioned that Tony Scott met Quentin Tarantino on The Last Boy Scout in 1991. Mm -hmm. Tarantino famously worked at the video archives all throughout the 80s, was this self-taught motor mouth movie fanatic who wasn't going to be stopped. It, by any <laughs> at all and tony scott had read his two scripts reservoir dogs and um true romance also in bird in infancy at this time both natural born killers and pulp fiction at least had segments in existence um he had he was ready like they say this to people who are like want to be screenwriters and he's such a prime example it's like have some reserves because by the time they got to the mid-90s, any piece of writing that was in Tarantino's underwear drawer got a green light from Miramax or Dimension. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm saying that is like with Bright, because like I'm a huge, huge From Dust Till Dawn fan. And that's like a prime example of that. It's like, oh, he's got a, vamp- like a vampire movie. Let's put that out. Yeah, all right. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, uh, three rooms, add another one, and we're golden. But if so, basically the timeline here is: Boy Scout was ninety one, mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs is ninety two, mm. True Romance is ninety three, Pulp Fiction and Natural Born Killers are ninety four. He is the star of the nineties. <laughs> like, yeah, he like, like def- he defined an era. Can, I mean, can you imagine a writer director being a star at this at the level he you were? necessarily around for it as much i like remember it and i was like obsessed and like from afar the most exciting thing in the entire I, world it, yeah 13, 13 year old dawn that's totally fixed like even like as i when i was a kid like he was uh he was around and like i i don't think there was anyone that like young and like I don't know, like, I feel like he's, like, one of the few, like, Gen X people that truly hit, like, the same level as, like, a Spielberg at that time in terms of, like, popularity as a person that's not, like, necessarily behind, like, you know, in front of the camera frequently. We also have to think he, you know, he acted in a ton of stuff. He hosted Saturday Night Live. He was on, really? Yeah, he was on, like, Damn. a Broadway show that got really, really panned. He had his own boutique label of videos from that they gave him that he put out things like chunking express and switchblade sisters and introduced all that to everyone we've mentioned before his like mtv video movie awards like introduction to jackie chan to an entire generation that's that's so fucking insane like you wouldn't see like kevin feige releasing his own version of the criterion you know what i mean it's it was like to anyone who like I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, and I know a lot of people felt it was quite obnoxious at times, but, um, you know, to anyone who is like a burgeoning movie mad person and just hearing all these references, hearing about these things like, oh, you know, I got this book of interviews with him and I just made a list of everything he name dropped. And I was like, I'm going to go to Blockbuster and try and check all these out. That fucking rules. See, that's like, I think that's like, I think that's like a net even if you can make arguments about, like, you know, how he's obnoxious or whatever, or, like, the ways he's, like, you know, messed up here and there, but, like, I think, like, he is uh, responsible for a large-scale widening uh, of people's, like, 
uh, tastes. Like, he, like, definitely, like, opened doors that, I don't know if Chow Young-Fat, you know, would be as big of a deal in America, like, you know, <laughs> without, like, Quentin Tarantino, you know? Yeah, he, he, at least for me, and, you know, I've thankfully, I mean, like, you know, not to, but, I mean, I've actually had the opportunity in the couple of times that I've run into him that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, straight up tell him, it's like, you open my eyes, I probably would just be watching, like, the canonical movies you're supposed to watch, like, the film yeah. school style movies, but it's like, no, there's, like, glory in, like, you know, we've we've watched them on our movie nights, you know, we throw in a movie, like, one on Boxer, or we throw in a movie, like, um, Over the Edge, or we throw in a movie, like, you know, even something like Big Wednesday, which is yeah. you know, a little bit more classy, but it's like, oh, these are just as good. <laughs> in their he's own like he, he's comparable to a museum. Like without him, things would get forgotten. Like Cockfighter, that's a movie that would lang- languish in obscurity ad infinitum without like Quentin Tarantino's like you know, involvement, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Like, it's just like, yeah, no, he's... And I know people, like, call him, like, a a DJ of what he's seen, but I think all of these, including the one we're going to talk about today, like, are so expertly designed. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about, like, the third act to True Romance starts with Bronson Pinchot in that car spilling the coke on himself, and it's such an innocuous mistake that leads to everyone's fate essentially yeah or, it, you know coming together is this this one guy who like played a little out of his league and he's yeah he's so to, good in this movie and it leads to you know an all-out ending and i think also like tarantino's taste for someone call it over the top someone call it even mind-numbingly sadistic levels of <laughs> violence um but it's something you've never seen before and you know, to you know, when I was so when I was a kid, I like desperately wanted to see Pulp Fiction. Mm. Pulp Fiction came out in '94. I was 12. Um, to give everyone, <laughs> and for some reason, because Pulp Fiction had cracked the pop cultural ceiling that literally everyone had heard about it, mm-hmm. that um, my mother was like, "No, this is the one movie you can't see." <laughs> And but the, oddly enough, like she bought me the screenplay for my birthday because it was like you can't tell a kid not to read. By the time I actually saw Pulp Fiction, I actually had the entire movie memorized because I had read the script so many times. <laughs> but um, oh my goodness! But what I did was I was I had some allowance money saved up, and uh, I used to walk home from school. We passed this grocery store that had a video section, and they were selling previously viewed movies. And they had Pulp Fiction for sale. And I bought it. Hell yeah, dog! Hit it under my bed like porn. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck yeah, that rules! That's good! (laughs) And I got got caught like porn. (laughs) That was how I first saw it. And I, I remember when I watched it finally, I was like, man, why is my mom so upset about this movie? Like, I've seen all those 80s action movies. I mean, it has, like, there's just a... Uh, it had an air about it. It has, like, because it is dangerous, and there are things, like, I mean, like, bring out the gimp. 
Oh yeah, that's no def- one had no one had seen that in 1994. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's like he like went to some places that I think like were heretofore unexamined, yeah. <laughs> so to yeah, speak, in light culture. And I think though it that's in every single one of his movies. And the funniest thing though is like I saw I'd seen True Romance and I'd already seen Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> I wasn't they they were fine. Yeah, <laughs> they just didn't have the cultural cachet that um, Pulp Fiction. I mean, so wasn't like my Beverly Hills. Yeah, wasn't Beverly Hills Cop two like a perennial in your uh, in your yeah. video collection? Yeah, like <laughs> the horniest me, movie my, ever. My dad bought me Lethal Weapon one when I was like eight. <laughs> like, oh man, <laughs> that one has like Mel Gibson with a gun in his mouth. <laughs> Naked, about to commit suicide, like the opening at the. Moment. Oh no, he's Brooklyn's finest thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah. well, some would say Brooklyn's finest is Mel Gibsoning, but uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. makes you think. <laughs> makes you think, yeah. But so my first screening of True Romance was actually we were on vacation, I think, in like San Diego or maybe Mexico or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten a very, it was a tropical or sunny place, beach, beach type place. I got a very bad sunburn. And oh, I, wow. couldn't, I couldn't sleep. And my dad, as I've mentioned many times before, always has the TV on when he goes to bed, no matter what the environment. Mm-hmm. So we're in a hotel, the entire fam, TV's on. He has left on HBO because it's a hotel. We did not have HBO at that time. So, we're t- hell yeah, we're watching HBO. You got to do HBO. <laughs> the like one in the morning movie. True Romance. And I and I was like, I remember the poster. I never hadn't seen this before. It was a magical moment I, where I um, just got sucked in. And I stayed up the rest of the night. I was hurt from a sunburn and I watched the entire damn movie. Like you're like myself the while everyone else in my family was asleep. You're like the little kid in Hugo. Mm-hmm. Except like your Lumiere right. brothers are uh, your your Ben Kingsley is Quentin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't even put two and two together that it was a Quentin thing until later on. Yeah, it's like the actors in it, but it was like it was such a mesmerizing movie, and the way that the movie. Um, kind of builds with each scene and yeah new freaky character that gets introduced into the movie and then how they essentially get all brought together i mean like it's it's really something it's incredible well one thing like and i'm gonna give like here uh not a spoiler but i'm just giving you folks a warning i watched um, we should note true romance is available to rent oh yes all providers uh not current it's not currently as as of today on a streaming service but um easy you know you can two three bucks yeah get get on top of your shit paramount plus get this make this movie come on tubi where 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 are you stars yeah where are you stars crackle what are you doing crackle i'm gonna crack your head yeah no i'm not sorry crackle sorry streaming service um but yeah no we we are gonna spoil it because we gotta talk about the ending Oh yes, oh yes, for sure. But I, and I was also gonna say like uh, um, one thing. Uh, so I've I watched this movie, and then like a crazy person, <laughs> like I've watched and this three. Is your, first, you, your first four screenings of this movie. Yes, I watched in a, it in a row, consecutively, like uh, 
like a Joker type. I'm a Batman. I'm a true romance themed Batman villain at this point, uh, which would be great. Someone do that. Uh, but uh, I've watched the Tony Scott commentary for this movie. I watched the Quentin Tarantino commentary. And then I watched the Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette commentary. And Quentin, one thing he did say is like every time he wanted to introduce a character, he wanted it to be like interesting and like memorable. And holy shit, like he does that. Like there's like seven or seven to ten like great characters in this movie. It's nuts. Most movies are lucky to have two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And this movie, every single person you meet is weirder and crazier. And more idiosyncratic than the person before that. Yeah, I respect Ronson Pinchot now. I didn't even think I'd be able to do that before. Actually, I take that back. Beverly Hills Cop. Tony great. going back to the well and you mm. know, saying like, "I saw you in Beverly Hills Cop one. I did not have you in two, but I like you. I'm thinking about you, I'm yeah. thinking about you Serge. <laughs> Serge. It's uh, very good. So basically, um, Quentin tells Tony Scott that. Um, He's going to direct Reservoir Dogs, but he'd love it if he took on True Romance and Tony was happy to make that his next film. Uh, came together at a lower budget, but by this point, the Reservoir Dogs had played the Sundance Film Festival. It played the Cannes Film Festival. Stories of um, Wes Craven walking out on of a screening of it because it was too much for him to take the man who <laughs> the last house on the left <laughs> Blair, too scary that's what's great he, he said um it was too real the oh wow scene, basically like he's like i dabble in fantasy that was not fantasy what we just watched there and that that is like there are like a couple like movies that i watched like on a lap a laptop on my stomach in my bed as like a, a high school youth and one of them was Reservoir Dogs and like the scene of that guy getting his that the undercover police officer getting his uh his ear sliced off or I guess he wasn't undercover maybe he was just a police I can't remember a they, Mr. Blonde had uh, taken hostage yeah but that see that's not the thing the, the just the effects of the ear and the visual it's just it's so insane it's like yeah, it's great. It's you know, too is like with him, a character like Mr. Blonde, like sets the tone for what Quentin does, all the way to I would argue Cliff Booth in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a character who might have like a charm on the surface to a cool charm on the surface to them, but is so capable of extreme levels of violence. That it's like it's so stunning because you feel a little hoodwinked. You're like, oh my god, like are they okay? Like they are like yeah. And even in True Romance, when um, and I love this is like I think the most underrated scene in the movie is the scene where Clarence gets the gun on Bronson Pinchot in the elevator, and Tom Sizemore is listening in, like practically cheering Clarence on, and like it's getting so heightened, and you're like, oh my god, I think Clarence is like. A true lunatic. <laughs> he's great. No, he's genuinely insane. Also, uh, like, God, I can't believe I'm going to I think Bronson Pinchot, I almost think he deserves an Oscar nominee. His, like, in that moment, he's so good. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, like, him, like, begging the police 
to like you know take me out of here like that like actually oh, donowitz's reaction to that oh my oh, god it's so good we'll get to it we'll get to it it's it's so, just incredible but it's like rules. reservoir dogs had come out and basically like not only did all of young hollywood think they were going to score rad parts by working with quentin tarantino all of they saw what he did for like harvey Keitel, and they're like we like the older guys wanted the game too so everybody wants a piece of this movie everybody mm-hmm. wants to be in it and like tarantino the way he tells it he's like he wanted basically a guy who looked like him to play clarence uh yeah i saw that too. yeah he's like yeah i can't be in the track can't be no no brad pitts here i can't believe that tarantino didn't push his way into playing dick ritchie yes really like if anybody in if there's there's the only part in the script that i thought he could do he that would be such a fascinating like piece of just like him playing this character that's basically him Mm -hmm. is very that would be that's like a fucking charlie kaufman script that's very wild yeah so this this movie is also clearly the most autobiographical script Mm -hmm. he's ever done it's both his autobiography and his dream his dream yeah. is to meet a buxom blonde babe who loves everything he loves at the same exact level of passion. Yes. <laughs> oh, you know who Sunny Sheba is? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, like, allows him to go out and achieve violent heroism <laughs> of the highest order. Allows not only allows him, but totally approves of him becoming the Punisher. Yeah, who, who like roots him on and gets like horny. Yeah, the entire idea of it. It's like, oh, he's Punishering. Oh, so, you can see, like, you know, when you're God, he must be like twenty-two. Yeah, working at a video store and probably a one-bedroom apartment, maybe some roommates. Maybe this is, like this is, of course, this is what he's writing. Yeah, no. Yeah, and what, but the difference is, is that he understands movies so intrinsically that it's it isn't navel gazy; it's ultra entertaining. But mm-hmm. Tony Scott, one of his first big choices beyond, I think you alluded to it earlier, is that the original script. We'll get to the ending in a bit, but the original script was non-linear in a classic Tarantino way. Yeah, and I, and I do love. Um, I think one of his great gifts, and something that I think about all the time when I try and write, is kind of playing with form and structure and like making a very conscious formal choice whether it's the three stories intermingled in pulp fiction the chapters in hateful eight the specific days in once upon a time in hollywood everything kind of has like a very strict formal format mm-hmm. yes um this is the most kind of episodic this happens and this happens and this happens and that's clearly Tony Scott's choice. Mm-hmm. I think he even like filmed it like like chronologically, which is kind of crazy too. Mm-hmm. Like the ending is like the last thing he filmed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so is that. And then Tony, um, I think I think he's right because there's a ripe tradition of this too, and we can talk about some of the influences here in a sec. But um, hot young stars have to mm-hmm. play Clarence in Alabama. Like mm. good looking hot young stars. You gotta get hunks. Hunks and babes. You gotta have them both. Yeah. <laughs> and and nobody's hotter in nineteen ninety-three than Christian Slater. Yeah. You know, he's huge. 
I dude, I'm not gonna lie. I just uh, watched the most recent season of Archer, and mm-hmm. another spoiler alert: his like character returns in like the last two episodes. He fucking still has it, even as like a voice. He's like attractive. It's fucking crazy. He's, he's <laughs> yeah, he's an interesting guy. I mean, because like you know, I mean, he was just so big and he was like so popular. Like you know, I even saw like the other day somebody at the the Rose Bowl per, uh, flea market was wearing a Young Guns two shirt. It's like nice. <laughs> nice of course, Christian Slater's in Young Guns too, but um, Christian Slater really wanted. You know, they he was like a top of the list kind of choice. Yeah. Well, what's what's cool about him is he's like you know he has like the looks and everything, but he has texture. He's like uh, I w- I just watched the Shersher Ronan Sam Rockwell like Who Done It mm-hmm. movie recently, and uh, Adrian Brody is like a big character in that film, and. What's cool about Adrian Brody is he looks like a real guy and he kind of has like a timeless quality where like he's very believable as a 50s guy, as a 30s guy. And Christian Slater has that too. Like you can't get like a, a Chris Hemsworth or, uh, you know, God bless. I love Joel Edgerton. But he, if you had Joel Edgerton as a 50s dude, no, 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 no. I don't believe it. He's an Australian. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think about like the modern equivalent, but um, Christian Slater has that always has that look even when he's like playing like a hero or a good guy that he's like about to like he could like snap and, yes and it might be because most people got to know him with um heathers oh yeah him, like a lunatic that was kind of his breakthrough role but i mean any of his movies even something as dumb as like cuffs which around the same time period <laughs> any cuffs fans out there <laughs> we had to do a cuffs episode at some point <laughs> <laughs> oh, another, another, another popular film in the Saunderson household. <laughs> <laughs> the film George Cuffs. <laughs> Wait, his last name is Cuffs? Oh yeah, he's, his name is George Cuffs. In the <laughs> That's film. insane. He, he, is the, he is the titular Cuffs. <laughs> Improbable. Uh, Come on, movie. I know I that. Love yeah, it. I love I'm it. Sure, if I like put it on, I haven't seen it in like twenty years. And put it on, it's like I know this entire movie by heart. <laughs> I'd be like if like if Nicolas Cage's character in Matchstick Men was Steve Matchstick. I, dude, I've said it before. I think almost every movie, like we, with that movie, The Zookeeper with Kevin James came out a few years back. Yeah. We just pitched. We just pitched uh, like uh, log lines for it. Dave Zoo Keeper. <laughs> Dave the Zoo Keeper. Yeah, his nickname is Zoo. It would be uh, just like I think every movie should end with uh, them summing things up. Like I, I told you, it's like it really was a Game of Thrones. Ah, <laughs> uh, this truly was a 1492, a new discovery. What year is it again? Oh, 1917. The end. (laughs) Ah, ah, this was so interstellar! I'm so happy you're back. Exactly. I think the the audience gets it. Uh, This feels good. (laughs) So, um, the audience totally gets it. It really was a true romance. Uh, uh, Patricia Arquette plays Alabama. Mm. She's excellent in the film. She's always excellent, but she's yeah, really she's good. incredible. She's great in this movie. Um, she really wanted the part. She went hard for it. She, she, she like really yeah, did. she yeah, she like did a lot of like uh, 
Like, didn't she, like, do, like, research and, like, actually, like, mm-hmm. went to, like, motels and stuff? It's wild. And she didn't drop character, I guess, the entire shoot. Oh, uh, that's kind of, um, that, that kind of rules, actually. I like According that. to the book, they saw the chemist, they did a chemistry read between them, and it was through the through the roof. They played terrific together. Apparently, they even had a little bit of a tryst. It's both single people. At the oh. single young people at the times, um, Mon and, and I ma- imagine you know on the commentary, um, they strike me as two people who probably still have like like a nostalgic camaraderie for yeah. that time period. They seemed pretty like stoked about what they were watching, a little bashful at times, but like ultimately pretty like yeah. There were a couple of scenes where like oh this is weird to watch, yeah. it was just like totally if I if I, I were I, them. I, yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of Christian Slater's belly button. So, um, Clarence wakes up after a night of passion. Discovers mm-hmm. that Alabama's not in bed anymore. Gotcha. And he gets up, and he discovers he goes outside, and the guy, the book that we're reading about Tony Scott, noted this very well. And this is what Tony Scott brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Clarence lives outside of a giant, extremely well lit billboard. <laughs> that Alabama <laughs> is sitting in front of and it just looks cool. Like, it's just like, wow, what a cool place to stage this scene. <laughs> like, and um, Alabama really, re, um, and I'm going to use the term she uses, um, Alabama uh, reveals herself to be a call girl. Who yes. Was hired by Clarence's manager at the comic book store, Lance. Fun Tarantino fact. The manager of video archives is named Lance. Uh-huh. And it's a little shout out. And you can see it. There's Lance is a name that shows up pretty often in Tarantino <laughs> scripts <laughs> and Roger <Avery> <laughs> scripts. Um, and she reveals all to him because she has instantly fallen in love with Clarence. And guess what? Guess who's not too upset? Clarence, because he has instantly fallen in love with Alabama. Yep. The one issue is that she's only been a call girl for what? Four days? Yeah. Two, not, two days. not too long. Jen just yelled, Jen just yelled too. <laughs> <laughs> not, not too long. <laughs> and Clarence is like, we got to go talk with your pimp. Get you out of this thing. But first major issue in this film is that her pimp is not a guy who negotiates particularly well. <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a stinker. <laughs> bit of a stinker. So we've already seen this drug deal. Sam Jackson is there briefly. Mm. And it's gone horribly wrong because a man, a white man with dreadlocks, <laughs> with a glass eye and a ton of scars, um, shoots up the room, and he is revealed to be Drexel Spivy, <laughs> played by <laughs> the one and only Gary Oldman. Um, it's a startling performance, especially in like in today's day of like 
<laughs> yeah. Like a P- he is not a PC character. No. In any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> okay, so I have like two two yeah. insane Drexel facts. Number one, Drexel is based on a real person. There is a dude that Gary Oldman hung out with on the set of Romeo is Bleeding, who oh, is a, a white Jamaican man, who is basically, in Gary Oldman's uh, words, is like he just took entirely... His look is inspired by this man he hung out with on Romeo is Bleeding. So and there's that's a, like back when Gary Oldman was really partying. Back yes. In so he's hanging out with the real deal psychos. This is the Sid and Nancy days. Not yeah. the, yeah, not not the not darkest the, hour, Oldman. Yeah, this, is, yeah, <laughs> this is not the Tinker Taylor soldier spy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, George Smiley would not party this hard. No. That's awesome. Oh, but the other crazy fact is that Gary Oldman's mother uh, visited when uh, visited the set, the Tony Scott like True Romance set when uh, Oldman was filming his Drexel. And every time Gary Oldman, you know, performed and you know worked his Drexel, his mom would like clap and be like, "Oh, good job, good job." That's so insane. That is a truly supportive mother. That's like, like, I yeah. love my great actor son. <laughs> that is like, yeah, that is like, yeah, the... <laughs> that is like so nuts. That's to so me. rad. Yeah, um, rules. Great for It's like, yeah. Also, what, shout out to my mom. It's probably listening to the podcast right What now. I love about the sequence, though, is that we've already seen him shoot up the room and Sam Jackson and everything like that. We know he's like this lunatic. Mm-hmm. And the way Patricia gets like, oh, you know. He's he's okay. He's got his moments. Mm-hmm. When she's like describing him to Clarence, it's like you. But she should probably warn Clarence. Ah, uh, got you, got you. Drexel is. <laughs> uh, okay. But basically, um, Clarence uh, gets a gun, mm-hmm. goes down to visit with Drexel, mm-hmm. and what ensues? We learn it's not White Boy Day. That's one no. thing we learned. But what ensues is like the first scene of the movie where, and it's like Tarantino's so good at these single scene, like the most tense standoff sequences. Like he does them in all of his movies. Like it's a huge part of everything he does. I mean, I think the two classics I think of off the top of my head are the opening of Inglorious Bastards with the first um, Christoph Waltz interrogation of that French family on the farm. Oh, incredible. And then, um, the card scene with Michael Fassbender in the basement, which mm, is just, yeah. you know, but it's like he's so good at these like hothouse, like tense, like and there's a multiple versions in this movie. I think that there's at least three or four classic ones in this movie alone. Yeah, uh, well, uh, but it's like, and I think even too, it's like, it's not even like the writing is incredible, but it's also like the set design, like having yeah, that like uh, light with that with that lamp that Gary Oldman is like teasing Christian Slater with and like throwing it at him. Like uh, that's... That, it's this lamp that's on this chain. And he's just swinging it at him, and you don't know like Christian Slater is playing it really close to the vest. And Gary Oldman's like doing everything he can to like break him down and like 
get him off of his game. He's like, you know, it's a movie with a girl with the big old titties on the screen. You don't even notice her. <laughs> you know yeah, like... and then like while like this insane like acid house techno music, like a, a, yeah, a, a, a all a... these like crazy hanger honors to Drexel's crew or like walking yeah. through. Well, isn't like the music too like a, a remix of like the Halloween music or it's, something? It's, yeah, it's, it's nuts. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. And but Christian Slater doesn't like break, and it turns into this like. Very very violent sequence. He shoots Drexel in the in the groin. Oh yes, he does. Yeah, and, then, yep, yep. and he like, just <laughs> absolutely blows him away. But not before two very important things happen. One, Drexel gets Clarence's wallet out and takes out his driver's license and takes it. And yeah, Clarence forgets to take it back. Oopsie doopsie. Big oopsie doopsie. And two. <laughs> On his way out, he's like, "Where's Alabama's stuff?" He gra- they like point to a suitcase. He grabs the suitcase. They head back to Christian Slater's place. He's beat mm-hmm. up, but hey, man, <laughs> I killed him. So yeah, you're he free. got burgers. We're good. He <laughs> got him. Yeah, you know what it is like said later on. Like Dennis Hopper says, like nobody's gonna miss this guy. So it's like it's not a big issue, really. <laughs> that, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it, it, that's actually pretty like interesting. We're like. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's actually a good plot point that like yeah, this guy's kind of a loser. Like this guy's kind of like a uh, you wouldn't recognize him. About to bring up the driver's license, the driver's license, and then the suitcase didn't occur. They'd probably be home free. No, yes. no big issues. But Alabama's like, I'm gonna check out my stuff. She opens her suitcase. Uh, it's a suitcase full of cocaine. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh. And. Somehow, like, what I love, Christian Slater's like, man, you know what the best bet is? We're going to go to Hollywood and sell this. Oh, my gosh. That's such and an awesome, money crazy. To Mexico. Crazy. <laughs> you think, because it's like Drexel says, he goes, this guy thinks he's Charlie Bronson. All of a sudden, Christian Slater's an outlaw. And he loves it. He loves being, he's got, he's lived among comic books and movie film festivals. For all like twenty eight years of his life. Yeah, it's oh, it's also super funny that he's like named after cinema's most famous nice guy. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a wonderful life's Clarence. <laughs> like, and yeah, this is like him like trying to make his wonderful life. It's nuts. Yeah, and he sees like he just sees it. He's like, I got this great name, and then he marries Alabama, and they're about to hit the road to to California, but he has to go down and. Visit our next amazing supporting character, his dang dad, Dennis Hopper. Yes! <laughs> the ultimate dad. Who Clifford, former cop, now security guard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Once a precocious man child at one point. A precocious man child has a dog named Rommel, which is an interesting, oh. it's a fascinating choice. Yeah. That's actually, that was Dennis Hopper's choice. He named that dog. <laughs> and I guess it's because he says, I, you know, I read a lot of history. Um, but it's it, yeah and he's like one of those guys he's like oh this nazi stuff i'm just a collector like, yeah yeah <laughs> this is like, like the guy in slayer that was like yeah, that, like, yeah. yeah the guy from, that's who i was thinking of is jeff hanneman from slayer it's like yeah. a lot of a lot of nazi stuff man. <laughs> hey man i'm just a big fan of risk that's all you know you know, you know that he got bit by a spider in his hot tub and it caused his arm to like eat in on itself, and that's like what killed him. Holy he died shit! Of like a flesh-eating disease. That's insane. 
awful, awful. It's like he got like uh, the what's that movie we saw at uh, the uh, New Bev, the one where they go to uh, uh, like they go to Mexico and they go to that like crazy oh, the, the ruins. Yeah, he got ruined. Oh, for your spooky, spooky uh, Academy Academy trademark spooky season recommendation. Uh, if you haven't seen it, take a look at the ruins. It's good very one. good. good it's, very a, it's movie. also just a great example of a mid aughts scary movie. Mm-hmm. Like they they look so mid aughts. It's such a it does, but it's yeah. it's rough. It's got a great R rating to yeah. it. It's grim. It's it's yeah. really it's good. It's it's a oh, good movie. Also, the virus in it is nasty, and so that's yeah. just what I imagine happened to Jeff Hanneman. He got ruined. Yeah. He got yeah, the, the plant. Great, the plant. Great. Great lead guitar player. I mean, I mean, I am a Slayer fan. I gotta say. Oh yeah, no, but, same uh, here. No, Slayer's great. I, yeah, yeah, we love so, some Slayer. Um, they visit uh, Dennis Hopper's dad. He's very skeptical of it mm. all, but he's yep. damn char- he's charmed by Alabama. And he's yeah. like, you know, I looked into it. Drexel, no big deal. You kids, you know, I got faith in you kids. I think you kids are gonna make it. And they tell him they love him, and they hit the road for California. <laughs> Yeah. The so if Thelma and Louise, we made a few comps. This one is definitely in the vibe of Bonnie and Clyde and that ilk. Yeah. Hundred percent. The, the, the obvious key movie influences Terrence Malick's Badlands, which brings me to Hans Zimmer's score, which is essentially a homage to the main theme from Badlands. Wow. <laughs> But and even down to how Patricia Arquette does the childlike narration in this movie in the same vein that Sissy Spacek does childlike narration in Badlands. And I think I think I would imagine Badlands is the I have never heard him talk on it, but I would imagine Badlands is the only Terrence Malick movie Quentin Tarantino likes. <laughs> so <laughs> You don't think he's like a, a third red lighthead? No, no, I think it's like not it's it's too ponderous ponderous yeah like yeah he, that's he, fair he, he he really likes a um he likes a tight script a tight script. he likes, he he is like the type of guy that always needs stuff to be happening which i appreciate i, I think kid. there needs to be movies like that he's he's, an, he's a kid yeah <laughs> he's like he, and i he, don't mean yeah. that as a negative he's but he's no a kid. No, but like, and I, and I was telling uh, Don this before we were recording. Like, he beat like Kevin Smith to the slacker chase. Mm-hmm. He is like the first guy who put a a man child that lives vicariously through what he consumes on screen. And he, you know, he he is the most influential screenwriter of his era. Every yeah. movie that has followed, I would argue that the soy banter that we see in like Marvel and Ryan Reynolds movies is essentially just a trickle down watered down version of trying to do Tarantino banter. God. Yeah. Without, without Quentin Tarantino, no Kevin Smith, without Kevin Smith, no Joss Whedon, without Joss Whedon, no soy banter. It's all. And it's just like, yeah, it is like just shittier. Like it's multiplicity, shitty ass copies. Like, (laughs) well, I think that there's like, it's very easy because I think like with a lot of like great, artists mm-hmm. there's this feeling of like oh it seems so like natural and easy the way tarantino does it like the scene i think of is that when sizemore and chris penn are going to ed louder the chief to get them lost and they're like great 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 movie, great, movie yeah, great. great great move they're like talking about <laughs> uh coming home at a body bag and they're like oh great movie great movie. and it's like okay 
whoa, that's like in your mind, it's like, oh, simple line, but great stuff. It's like, nobody does that. Nobody still does it that well and naturalistically. Of course, these cops are in the movies. Yeah. Like, why not? <laughs> it also, and it, yeah, and it works because it feels real. It like mm-hmm. is like, and none of it feels, well, and that's, you know, it's it's a testament to like true romances, the, str- the strength of its script, because it's all coming from Quentin Tarantino. It's all authentic. Like, he is not putting on airs when he talks about any of these fucking movies. He's the well, real it's deal. Like, it's like, um, <laughs> how people used to say, and I think it's like true, like, you know, in old Woody Allen movies, he'd always like name drop like Strindberg or like Bach or stuff like that. Right. And it was always kind of like this feeling of like, oh, he's trying to prove to us he's an intelligent person by being Oof. able to name drop this kind of stuff. And the thing about Tarantino is his name dropping is so naturalistic because it's what he loves. Mm-hmm. There's just like he loves Charles Bronson. He can reference that really, really well. And it comes out as a authentic natural yes you know, like it's not like man this is just like that time you know? oh god yeah it's not yeah there's, and, not an, there's not an air of epic or bacon to anything he says god no, bless which is like, really cool which is really yeah it's very bad. good because he because he understands and respects movies mm-hmm. whereas i'm not certain the epic tv guys who started writing movies love movies in the same way Mm-mm. They love making money and being in the movie business and taking advantage of their position in the movie business. <laughs> but yeah, they don't have that same like natural like it's not as organic with other people as it is with Quentin. Like, that's why somebody like Josh Whedon allegedly gets exposed for being a total fraud. He like created this character and this persona. Like Tarantino is like who he is. Take it or leave it. Like yeah, you might find it of annoying but he ain't he is who he there i don't think that there's a like a, he's not inauthentic in his whole no <laughs> he like he's like he shows you who he is warts and all yeah and deal with it cool. yeah which is like fucking braver than like i'm not that brave i'll well, be real a, that's yeah a, like that's a, that's, a, that's a true artist because not everyone's yeah. going to like you because you're putting yourself out there I- and like in what movie does anyone put themselves out there more because like yeah if this is ostensibly him like yeah he said he's talking about that he is a psycho loser yes it's crazy it's beautiful (laughs) yeah it's really something but then like when i was watching it this time around i've seen this movie a bunch like Mm -hmm. we kind of talked about that Aerosmith song kicks in when they're driving down past the Capitol Records building. You're like, ooh, did this mm. movie hit another gear? I think this movie just hit another gear. And we already lost Drexel. He's dead. Drexel's gone. They hit L.A. Guess what? They're vis- Somehow, Clarence knows one guy in L.A. Struggling actor Dick Ritchie, played by the mm-hmm. great Michael Rappaport. Yeah, which is like, which is funny. Like Quentin also said, like that character is yeah. a little bit of him too. That's like the, the that's like the nerdiest version of him, the one and, struggling and he, to get on TJ Hooker. Try, yeah, because he was trying to be an actor first mm-hmm. before he was trying to be a filmmaker. I mean, you could go back. He he played an Elvis impersonator on an episode of Golden Girls. You find on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> incredible. <laughs> they go, you know, Michael Rapport's trying for TJ Hooker. They go to his house. It's all fun and games. It's great. Uh, he's he and his roommate <laughs> Floyd uh, played in one of the one of the great 
performances in this movie. I love th- this character because he's simultaneously like you don't need a character like this and yet he's made to be the linchpin of this movie practically. And it, it's so funny how his character twists and turns. And again, it's like okay, he could just be like a stoner. Mm-hmm. And do like some surfacey stoner humor which 9.8% out of 10 screenwriters would do. Mm-hmm. But then he like grumbles under his breath. He talks shit, and then he like absolutely like is open minded about like giving directions. <laughs> Floyd is played by Brad Pitt, um, who was just on his kind of ascent. This is a couple years after Thelma and Louise, but we're heading toward Legends of the Fall. We're heading toward Interview with the Vampire. Mm-hmm. Heading toward Seven. I mean, and we're heading toward Megastardom. Oh yeah. But this is what makes you feel like he's kind of a fun guy and he's not Tom Cruise. Is that Tom Cruise doesn't do shit like this. Yes. Oh, my God. I would pay two. I would try to raise two million dollars on GoFundMe to see Tom Cruise just play a character with a goatee. I just just well, that. That's I'll, all. I'll play a like non alpha. Oh, my like gosh. That's the uh, That's the thing is that. Let's play someone weak, essentially. But because Tom Cruise would say that Floyd's weakness is not is that it's a weakness of character because he smokes so much pot and isn't like out like <laughs> racing motorcycles and like doing his best. <laughs> Why are you not fighting uh you know planes flying planes for the Air Force, you fool? Mm-hmm. Floyd. So they head out on the town with Dick Ritchie because Dick Ritchie takes an acting class with one Elliot. I kept thinking it was Elliot. What's the, who's the disgraced New York governor? <laughs> so it's Elliot Spritzer, and this is Elliot Blitzer in this movie, uh, who predates the, that. But, that is so funny. That is. <laughs> I have like forgotten well, having that guy back of, in my brain. Um, hey, we're in New York. We're the best governors in the world. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> Hey. I had a show on current on current TV once. <laughs> I got a scumbag brother who, who claimed he was a COVID hero. I'm gonna defend him on CNN. Oh, Those guys. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. So um, Dick Ritchie takes acting classes with Elliot, who's played by Bronson Pinchot, who's excellent in the yeah. movie as Patrick he- alluded to. Yep, he might be my yeah. Him and Gary Oldman give them Oscar nominations. I, yeah, I think yeah. I mean, and Elliot is just like the like classic Elliot. If like all, all the LA guys they meet are different, there are like eight LA guys that you will meet here in Los Angeles. <laughs> Almost all of them are introduced in this movie in different forms. You've got the sweet natured, definitely going to be a loser, struggling actor in Michael Rappaport. You have the struggling actor who's also will do anything to get ahead and wants to be a fuck a monster psycho boss desperately and is already behaving like it without any of the actual tools and money in Bronson Pinchot's character. You actually you have the actual psychotic boss in uh, Lee Donowitz, mm. and then you have the guy who moved to LA to become an actor and then just decided to smoke weed on a couch for five years. <laughs> Floyd. And all the guys. <laughs> you know? yeah, I think I'm, oh, I think I'm 
I don't think a movie has like distilled like L.A. that purely in so long. Like this movie does. Like, and it's funny how like these guys still exist. All of oh, these all guys. Of every, yeah. we've met. We've met versions of every single one of these guys. Sadly. 100%, yes. Sadly. <laughs> you know, do six months of improv at UCB. You'll meet all of them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Every UCB class, it's it's always going to be like thirty percent. Yeah, yeah. Forty percent Floyd's. You're going to have two Michael Rappaport's and then one Elliot. Like yeah. that's going to be every UCB class. And Elliot reveals himself within like four minutes. Mm, of yes. Class. And you know, <laughs> and you're like, I don't want to do scenes with Elliot. I do not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Elliot is like really on all the time. Like <laughs> Floyd, Floyd is not great, but he does interest. He makes interesting choices that make it like worthwhile. Basically, what they have in mind is that Clarence has read enough entertainment news, mm-hmm. and, and hears that Elliot works for mega producer Lee Donowitz. Now, Patrick, mm-hmm. do you think he is Don Simpson, or do you think he is Joel Silver? <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think like uh, based on uh, what we've read and discussed, it has to be Joel Silver. But there's a little Don Simpson in there. You know, there's probably yeah. a, just a, ha- a hair of Don Simpson. There's a little bit, but <laughs> I think that they cranked him up after they were all around Joel Silver on Last Boy Scout. They were like, yeah. Yeah. It's and fully he, silver. He's a mega action movie producer. His most famous film is um, the wonderfully titled Coming Home in a Body Bag. <laughs> <laughs> a and great it, name. Interesting Tarantino fun facts that I discovered on this that I, I don't know if not 1000% verified, but I will go with it. Guess who the star of Coming Home in a Body Bag is? Hmm. Rick Dalton. From Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as an older, as an older like Lee Marvin type role. <laughs> That's insane. I love that. I really hope like, because you know we know um, there's like talks about like how everything in the the Quentin Tarantino verse is like connected to a certain degree. It'd be really nice mm-hmm. to get some of those. Like, yeah, I want, I want to see Body Bag. Let's make this movie happen. Yeah, and so and then the other fun fact is that Lee Donowitz. Um, supposedly is the son of the late great Donnie the Bear Jew Donowitz Eli Roth's character from Inglorious Bastards. That's insane. Uh, that's crazy. I buy. I buy. Uh, I buy that. No, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, like, yeah. No, he definitely has the Bear Jew's. Uh, you know, his energy. He's got some energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so somehow. Slater feels that they can offload all this coke, make a ton of money on Lee Donowitz, and he and Alabama can go on their honeymoon to Mexico mm-hmm. and do that. Now, another great Tony Scott choice. When Christian Slater is presenting this once-in-a-lifetime deal to, to uh, Bronson Pinchot, guess where they decide to stage this entire sequence? Mm. On a roller coaster. It's absolutely yeah. excellent. It's excellent. <laughs> yeah, people. Yeah, it's great. Like they must have had to ride that roller coaster oh, at least thirty times. Um, <laughs> apparently, uh, Bronson Pinchot's queasiness was very real. Oh God! And uh, Michael Rappaport was so scared that he kept missing his lines. <laughs> <laughs> 
They hate, you know what? Roller coasters are scary. I feel okay, buddy. Hella scary. Hella scary to act through that. But it really is like Tony Scott understands the kinetic need in these sequences. And it is such a meeting of the minds in this movie. It's like, and that's why Tarantino actually loves it. He loves this movie. Like, he loves Tony Scott. Well, like, the thing, too, is, like, Tony Scott realizes, like, he says this in his commentary, everything's been fucking done. Everything's, you know, you can't really, you know, wheels been already already been made. And so the way you can keep things, the way you can keep things fresh are, like, interesting juxtapositions. That's pretty much the only way you can keep things fresh nowadays. And so if you're going to have, like, a uh, an expository dialogue scene, got to do it somewhere interesting. Better be a roller coaster, you know. Like that, that's the only way it's gonna like be feel fresh and cool. It's Absolutely. so much, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, it rules. They almost did it at a zoo, I think, but the zoo was like apparently like you can't be near animals. That's yeah. like a yeah, exactly, yeah. But uh, meanwhile, back in Detroit, Cliff in his trailer with his dogs comes home to discover. Some unwanted guests. Oh, Mamma Mia. Nice guests. Oh, and oh, Mamma Mia, indeed. Uh, the Italian mob is... Yes. Oh, Sicilian... Pardon me. Sicilian mob. Very important. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, they were... All, the, all these, all these actors by... were... Oh, all these actors were cast in uh, New York, too. Like, uh, Tony Scott was like, all the actors in L.A. were, like, too, like, like pretty. Like, we need, like, actual, like people with texture so he got like victor argo and kevin corrigan like people that were like performing primarily in the new york area the yeah time. he got yeah. april ferreira's guys basically yeah yeah paul ben victor another good yeah. solid actor um but they're led by in a one scene absolutely dynamic and crazed performance christopher walken who I got, every time i see him in the last couple like last year i mean i was always a fan Mm-hmm. Every time, every, maybe since we've like watched King of New York for the show, and he, I've just been seeing him in movie after movie. It's like this guy, like my favorite actor. Like I love him. I love him every single time he shows up. I kind of like I did send. Uh, this is like could be a spoiler. <laughs> I did send Don today a text of like this could be a good bracket. This this uh this Christopher Walken bracket. Like it's the yes. uh, it's the only bracket with like communion and the prophecy and catch me if you can on it that would be good he is a truly thrilling what the hell is he gonna do actor and he's there to get information because apparently the coke oh yeah it's theirs and they found that driver's license (laughs) on the scene and they are looking for clarence your dickhead son your loser son Son. Your, um, your son, your son's a regular flaps. Yeah, he's a real flops. Uh, he's a flaps. <laughs> hey, he's a kind of a flaps. He and he sits down with Dennis Hopper, and we are talking just two dudes mm-hmm. who know their way about acting. Right? Here. Yeah, pe- peak actor. Like, because oh Dennis Hopper, like. He's gone through it, but like, man, he's he's a great actor. And they're just like, they, they so they have this showdown. This is the famous Sicilian scene. Mm, As, yes, and um, a lot of people feel it's one of the very best scenes Tarantino's ever put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tarantino himself is 
a very big fan of this <laughs> scene. Um, the scene is very rough, like language-wise. Yeah, it's a tough. Like, yeah, don't. Really, yeah, I don't even really feel comfortable describing nah. it. We won't, uh, yeah, we won't have to. We won't. We won't repeat any of it. No, but uh, it, but yeah. it is frightening and terrifying, and kind of this tete-a-tete back and forth between the two of them really is special like the way it's like performed it's just what is interesting is that like quentin himself said that like the scenes involving like dennis hopper basically are like the most like autobiographical from his life like 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 a lot of the stuff that like clarence says to his like father is stuff that he wishes that he's said to his stepfather uh and what's also interesting is apparently, like his, uh, while his stepfather wasn't a big part of uh, of uh, Quentin's life, his uncle was, and his uncle was named Cliff, which mm. is the name of the care his father, which is the name of Dennis Hopper's character in this movie, also and Cliff Booth, <laughs> which is very interesting. Yeah. But then, yeah, uh, yeah, but uh, and then also on top of that, uh, Samuel Jackson's character in this movie and. Samuel Jackson's characters in a lot of movies were inspired by a family friend of Quentin Tarantino's that was African American, and that family friend—he's like the brother of his mom's best friend—and that person is the person that told Quentin Tarantino the Sicilian story. Yeah, which is crazy. So it's like a real thing that he like learned about from someone. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um. It's it's shocking and confrontational, and you don't really know like. So you're when the scene opens, your sympathies are clearly on Dennis Hopper. Oh, a hundred percent. But then Dennis Hopper does launch into this, frankly, you know, deathly racist. Yeah, monologue. horrifying. Yeah, horrifying. Yeah. Well, and I think like, you know, it's like he's. Hoping that the people attacking him are racist enough to to re, to, to he, act it's, accordingly. It's, it, yeah, and I I think it's like a strange like I know I'm gonna die, and I think I know because you people are awful. The thing that is going to hurt you the most that I could possibly say, but what I am saying is so dark it makes me look awful too. Yes. Well, it's so, it, well, it's so conflicting when you're watching it. Well, I think a hundred percent. It's like well, and I think what's interesting too is I wonder if like, and I have nothing to back this up, but I am curious if like Dennis Hopper had interpretations of his character that were perhaps different from Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, that could be. Because like I said, he named the dog Grommel. That wasn't in the script. Yeah, and that could be very yeah it, but it's 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 regardless it's supposed to be uncomfortable it's supposed to be provocative. yeah it's, it's supposed yeah. to leave you a little queasy as you're watching it's, it yeah and then the other queasy elements that are going christopher walken is clearly like nuts like a true lunatic an evil man yes <laughs> standing behind dennis hopper with this weird gross childlike grin on his face <sighs> is a young james gandolfini now, James Gandolfini played a, a goon in The Last Boy Scout in one of his earliest roles. He gets a lot more to do in this one as Virgil. We'll get to it in a little bit here. But the way Tony Scott presents him even in this scene, you're like, oh, this guy is off. 
there's something quite off about this man who's standing here. But basically, um, Christopher Walken pretends he's amused and then um, promptly shoots Dennis Hopper right in the head. And there's a very like crazy story about that, that apparently Tony Scott wanted to put the gun to Dennis Hopper's head and fire the blanks. And Dennis Hopper's like, the hell with that, man. That's like, no way. No way, yeah, dude. Totally fair. <laughs> so Tony Scott picks up the gun and he goes, It's totally safe. And he puts it to his own head and fires and knocks him on his ass and like busts him wide open on his head. And Dennis Hopper's like, See? See? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Tony's like, I'll be fine. He's bleeding out. And Dennis Hopper is 1000% correct. Don't do yes. that. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I get it. It's from this time when, like, you know, you wanted okay. to there, be as hardcore as you like, could. Hardcore and Tony Scott is a, as macho and tough of a filmmaker as there came. Yes. Too. So we know because of the, the real business, is, the business is picked up. Dennis Hopper is dead. And this, these, these Sicilian mob is on Clarence's trail. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they get to chat it up. They get the Lee Donowitz. They set it up. It's going to be at this hotel. It's all good. Elliot goes for a joyride with some of his cocaine. He's got a blonde with him. They're having a great time. Uh-oh. <laughs> Cops pull him over. <laughs> he tries to get her to take the coke. She won't. And I think he sneezes like he does a famous coke sneeze. And it's all over it's his the, face. No, the the, oh. the the blonde like throws in rage. Uh, is oh, like she's like, like yeah, throws it at him. Throws it at him. He's it's coated. His nose is all white. It's very funny. <laughs> she's laughing her ass off. It's great. Like whoever the gal is is really funny. And she oh, does a good it's job. A, she's a Maria Patillo. She's like a great. This movie has so many solid. Like even like the guy who is at the hamburger shack during the James well, Gandolfini. That's the guy from The Rock. Yes! Guys with Tony Hawk. 100%. Yeah, Greg, I think his name is Greg Sporleader or something. No, he's a great actor. It's, yeah. It rules. Every Even like the bit parts in this are cast perfectly. Yeah, so um, everyone's laughing. Cops like, mm-hmm. uh-oh, we got you, buddy. <laughs> so Elliot spills the beans about this entire big drug deal that he works for this big Hollywood producer mm-hmm. to Chris Penn. And Tom Sizemore. What perfect casting! The, the yeah. casting's great. Sizemore is just on like a he's you know he didn't need to bust anybody for coke. He's got his own stash. <laughs> yeah, he, he he like he's it was like a vacuum. so bug eyed and like crazed. You were half expecting him to have a heart attack any minute. <laughs> so and they want the bus, man. We gotta get this collar. We gotta get this collar, and. They go to their chief, who's Ed Lauder, who another great actor. Oh, such a great! Like it's one so scene, nice another seeing one him. Scene wonder, and he's so good and everything. And he's like, "You got it." Oh, we're gonna bust the guy who made coming home in a body bag. We love that movie. <laughs> 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 and so there the cops. So we got the Sicilian mob. We got are out in the mount. Yes. So, but Clarence and Dick and Alabama. Man, everything's coming up roses for you guys. So Clarence goes celebrate. He's gonna go get some hamburgers. Mm, yeah, the American tradition. Yeah, well, yeah, he's got to. You know, he's going to a big meeting. 
It's gotta yeah. bring burgers. <laughs> gotta bring meeting burgers. With the at the um at the at the Rose Bowl flea market, I found a porcelain cheeseburger that you could pull apart that had all of like the ingredients in their own little porcelain. My friend was selling it. I almost bought it and I was gonna give it to you as a sign of gratitude, Patrick, because that's what friends do for friends. It's oh my god. <laughs> the ultimate it. gift. Like, the ultimate gift is porcelain like two pound uh, cheeseburger. He'd have to he'd have to stop me from trying to eat it. Oh dude, dude I almost did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, oh no. Clarence goes out to get cheeseburgers. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we should also. I can't, well, we'll get to Val Kilmer. We kind of skipped over that. We'll get to it. Oh, right, we'll get to it. There's so much uh, happening in this movie, folks. The key, the key Val Kilmer scene is still to come. So, mm-hmm. um, Wall, he's away. They're staying at a hotel. A motel. What? What's the name of the motel? It's here. We you drive past all Safari the Inn. Yeah. Is there a Safari um, Motel? Safari yeah. Inn or Safari Motel? It still Man. exists. You can go visit it if you feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um, when in the LA area. Um. Patricia Arquette, though, goes back to her room and discovers James Gandolfini is waiting with a sawed-off shotgun. He's found out where they are. And what follows here is for, is easily the most harrowing scene in the movie, but I think it might be the best scene in the movie. Yeah, um, it's... It's, it's in... really, really scary and rough, but it also mm. is very triumphant, and it's like her guts in the scene. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in a movie almost like the way she continues to fight against these odds against this guy and how far it goes between the two. And, yeah. But Patricia Arquette talks about how she saw this like in a movie theater. And like when this scene happened and like the, um, and the climax of the scene occurred, like, like I, like there were like a bunch of like, ladies like as a group like coming to see this movie and they all like cheered like it's yeah. like a, it's a very like i don't know she it's Victor. harrowing yeah it's harrowing but it's like it's very the the end the, the, it's so satisfying like it's just a very satisfying uh end to this it, like it's odious scene i mean we yeah. all know we all know what james gandolfini looks like he's a big you know it, it, I, I think by all accounts, I think he was like you know a, could be a kind of moody, but for the most part, people liked him yeah, quite a bit. Like... Um, I mean, an actor, so moody. <laughs> but, yeah, um... but like no, but he wasn't like yeah, no, but like well, and I think the, the thing about Gandolfini, what works about him is the he's so huge, but he has this soft, nice face that's incredibly well, his smile is so disarming. <laughs> well, you see it when he's like leaning over and talking to her. You're like there he is. That's Tony. There's Tony Soprano. There he, mm-hmm. like he's there already. Oh yeah. This was the this was the role that got him the audition for Tony mm-hmm. Soprano was this one scene, basically. <laughs> and it's true because it's this idea, like with Tony Soprano, is he's this family man. He kind of can play downplay things, but at the same time, you know, just under the surface lies a psychotic level of violence. Mm-hmm. Which is this character too. And um, kind of what follows is that, you know, he's toying with her. He's, you, you know, that he's not going to let her go. Mm-hmm. Even if she he wants the Coke and he wants to know where Clarence is. She's playful at first. She tries to flirt her way out of it. She tries a lot of different things, but then he gets incredibly violent and it just escalates. 
from there, the level of violence in the sequence. And he seems to be getting off on it. There's a lot of very weird psychosexual stuff happening on his side. Yeah, it kind of like, yeah, <laughs> it, it, but... yeah, it is like, it's an interest. it's a good way of like, and it's like a testament to the choices that James Gandolfini as an actor makes. Uh, because like, I think like it just, it, it makes the scene more believable. Like, you know, I feel like a mobster would probably like end it pretty quickly, but like the choices he makes as an actor that he's getting some weird perverse gratification from what's occurring justifies this. Er- alluded to earlier in the Dennis Hopper scene too. Yeah, a hundred percent. This kind of guy who's really, he's, he's like their enforcer, but even the mob guys are like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to hang out with this guy. <laughs> What? Yeah, you're you're an odd bird. <laughs> yeah, you're a little weird. You're a little weird. But he's like he's so incredible in the scene and such a like scary, unforgettable performance. Yeah, it... that he puts out there, he's he's just phenomenal. And but it does end in triumph. She's able to. She gets a crap. She's so beat up, but she like continues to fight him until she gets the upper hand, mm. and she wins. She kills him. And it's really is incredibly satisfying. Meanwhile, Clarence is at some burger stand hitting up the guy from The Rock about you know, the <laughs> issue of Newsweek that Elvis is on the cover of. There was something kind of nice, like in like every one of the commentaries, every person was like, "Oh, it's Greg Spore later or whatever." Like that guy's a great actor. He has he, a, must, he has he kids. Must, yeah, he must have been around, like hanging out with all of them in, in that time period. Yeah, oh, 100%. He must have been just, like, a dude. Like, yeah, it's kind of like he must have been on the cusp of, like, everything. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, yeah, just in some, some be made it to, like, Christian Slater's level, so make it, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, yeah. Hey, he's, still, know. he's still rocking it. He was in Animal that, Kingdom. Yeah, that guy worked. That guy still works. He's a good actor. Yeah. Yeah, and, <laughs> and every, you know, and Tony Scott's casting is so good. Uh, finally, Clarence shows up. He rescues Alabama. She's mm-hmm. worse for wear, but he's got her. They hit the road. And they're going to go to this hotel for the meeting mm. with Lee Donowitz. So let's see if we can get the entire gang in order. Uh, Clarence, Elliot, Elliot, who's wearing a cop, a wire. Yes. Yeah. Size Moore and Penn and the gang are listening in on mm-hmm. Dick Ritchie and Alabama are coming in with the Coke. Mm-hmm. There's a scene because an elevator where Slater just flips out and threatens to shoot Bronson Pinchot. That's a really, really exciting scene. What I loved when watching that scene is Rappaport and even Patricia Arquette are like, what are you doing? Like, yes. they had, they're even like, dude, like, you're, are you like, and he's like feeling himself. Like Clarence thinks he's on top of the world. Yeah. This is like him. Like, yeah. Being like, nah, this is, I, I'm, this is good. I'm doing a good, this is a good move. This is a smart move for me to do. I got this Hawaiian shirt. I'm wearing (laughs) sunglasses in. I got my hot wife with me. I'm like, everything's coming up. (laughs) See, my best friend is a mind Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. So they get up the hotel and they meet up with Lee Donowitz, who is played by the great Saul Rubnick, who I really good and everything. I mean, you know, from Unforgiven. Probably that's probably yeah he's so great from the mist but, but um uh, he's a uh, Henry so Kissinger good. and Dick yeah very oh, yeah he's in um he's in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs which he's really yes. good in that too he's just like one of those <laughs> great like, character actors it's kind of stunning he hasn't 
isn't in like every Coen brother movie. Because he's like <laughs> really could like knock their stuff out of the park. Oh, he's like the spiritual successor to Michael Lerner. Yeah, I know. Yeah. For real, a hundred percent. And he is just like you know Lee Donowitz. You know, he uh, he's like hits all the notes you want him to hit. Yeah. Slater is just like in his element, and he's like sucking up. He's like, I didn't suck. I'm not sucking up to you, Lee. Man, I love coming coming home in a body bag. It's one of my favorite movies. And then he does Tarantino's <laughs> monologue where he's like, I don't get all this serious stuff. I mean, give me the Wild Bunch. Give me Rolling <laughs> Thunder. It's all of Tarantino's favorite movies. And he's listening all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, and, you know, and kind of like summing up the mo of tarantino's like tastes his yeah, uh, his cinematic ethos his cinematic ethos uh it should be noted lee has got a couple no neck bruisers with him who got some <laughs> some machine guns his bodyguards oh. we're like cool he's like chill out guys <laughs> like See? these guys are at an 11 the second clarence walks in there <laughs> it's so good well like you know what it's so good it's a testament to how generous the script is even like the big heavy guy with the guy with the blonde hair and the ponytail is great he gets to have a feast he gets to have a character even the third string cop the cop that doesn't have a name he gets a moment the guy goes shot in the gut and sits in the, uh, the feathers Yes, I got shot. <laughs> what a, yeah, this is an this is a movie that's giving. It's a, just a very like well, man no to be an every, actor. No wonder everyone wanted to be in this damn movie. Like, yes, you know, because exactly. it's like you're gonna have a fun time. We gotta get, get, actually get some meat. Yeah, so, everyone got something for the real. The deal is starting to go down. It's looking good. Clarence explains what he wants out of it. Everyone's feeling themselves. Clarence like I gotta go hit the head. Goes to the bathroom. He's a little nervous. Guess who shows up? It's like mm-hmm. the third time we've seen him in this movie. In the shadows behind him. Is that Elvis? Mm. Never said, but it's Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> and it's played by the great Val Kilmer. <laughs> sure as hell ain't the big bopper. And I, I like you, Clarence. Always have. <laughs> and, and Elvis is playing as a lunatic. He's like, shoot him in the room. Shoot him in the face. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him, Clarence. <laughs> it, the voice in Clarence's head is Elvis Presley, who's also telling him, giving him all of his psychotic thoughts. Awesome. Incredible. You've never seen it before. You've never yeah. seen a movie before. It's, it's great. It's such a nuts. I love it. It's so good. And no other movie could, like, do this. I don't know. So like, Clarence yeah. is in the can. And then they say the deal's going on. And Pinchot looks down at the wire. He goes, get me out of here. Get me out of here now. Yeah. I was like, what? He's talking to the cops. So Sizemore leads, like, through, like a damn, like, bull in a china shop, leads them in there because he wants this collar. It should be noted, Sizemore says out loud, I don't have time to put on my bulletproof vest. Big mistake, Size. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Your size will not help you here. No. So, all the guns are out. The cops are there to, but Donowitz's bodyguards are like, "Fuck this! We're not backing down. We're gonna shoot the cops." And they it's all their so... They're like, "What is gonna happen here?" Then they cut to the lobby. All the Sicilian gangsters are coming up. Yes, Victor Argo. Yeah, they break into the room. We got ourselves like the most massive standoff you've ever seen in this like extremely tight quarters. It is. Crazy! 
They start screaming at everyone is screaming at each other. And uh, Patricia Arquette and Rappaport are like covering their heads on the couch like, oh, and they're right in the middle of it. What are they going to do? Donowitz is flipping out on Pinchot. Oh, yeah, he's mad. And I believe that's what kind of starts it all is him screaming. Yes. Oh, well, what happens is he's screaming and then he takes his hot coffee and throws oh. it at Pinchot. Which chain reaction, my friends. <laughs> Everyone opens fire yeah time size more is like oh that's enough for me to start murdering <laughs> everyone needs uh, everyone opens fire. clarence comes out of the bathroom immediately gets shot in the head immediately gets like, yeah. goes down. <laughs> alabama's like... screaming sizemore gets blasted his guts explode he's down all the um donowitz is hit with tagged with a bunch of shots bronson pinchot goes down it's absolute chaos everybody's uh, loot everybody's getting shot up it's uh, man crazy patricia arquette is able to crawl over to clarence and like hold him and she's crying somehow let's hope he's on his way to that tj hooker taping yeah. well, he, like, i love dick what Ritchie, he is dick Ritchie gets out of there and he throws the coke in the air and that gets blasted it's crazy and feathers are flying off the couches Uh, and everything's out of control we forgot something though patrick we forgot the key thing in this entire movie because i was thinking we've talked about all of our characters we've talked about where they've ended up how they got here we've forgotten the reason why they are all there Mm. forgot floyd on the couch yes <laughs> so earlier, when James Gandolfini is looking to track down Clarence and Alabama, mm. he figures out where Dick Ritchie lives, and he drops by their house. They're not home, but Floyd is on the couch. Yes, and he's like, "You seen him?" He goes, "Well, yeah, I've seen him. They were they're here." And Floyd, absolutely guilelessly gives up the hotel that they're staying in which leads Gandolfini to be there for the big fight with Patricia Arquette he's a pure soul he grumbles to himself because he's a little upset because nobody's taking him seriously and nobody wants to smoke weed with him it's yeah no one, wants, no one wants to smoke out of his nasty ass honey bear it's bong super, it's super <laughs> super fun super it's, super funny it's what is so this don't kind of send me man I'll fucking kill you uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's it's what's great is that yeah that character if they made like a true romance to it somehow like floyd would still be on that same couch still just as attractive probably yeah. so we leave him, and then later on the entire sicilian mob has shown up they're looking for everybody they go to the house and Floyd gives him directions to Donowitz's hotel. <laughs> Not before he's like, hey, hang out with me. Hang out, watch some TV, <laughs> you know? And it's completely like guileless as usual. And they like, no, no, no. And the, But every single one of the mob guys who visits with Gandolfini and the rest of them are like, is this guy for real? Is this guy <laughs> like giving everybody up? Like, <laughs> <laughs> LA, am I right? Yeah, they have not met a guy like So the reason the Sicilian mob is there for this big shootout is essentially this stoner on the couch just gave them directions without knowing anything about anything at all. It, yeah, it's, it's I, the Tarantino's play with coincidence mm-hmm. and kind of like 
dot like the dominoes of like we, there's like a s- simple choice leading to absolute chaos. Excellent, excellent. There, there's also just there's also just a beautiful like uh, a Nietzschean Dionysian lack of like good. Like there's no Apollonian sense of good and evil in this movie. I feel like a weaker screenwriter would have Floyd killed. The fact that Floyd gets to live and smoke another day is very funny. And just it makes it better. Like it, it rules that there's no repercussions for his actions. I think, yeah, I think that um, Tatino has a, a really interesting sense, and it's surprising that he's so successful even to today. And in some ways, due to the way things have gotten so moralistic in movies, mm-hmm. is Tarantino's um, vague, at best, ideas of moralism in his films like <laughs> it you know there is a like when someone wants a code they have to leave entirely like you think of jules he's gonna go walk the earth in pulp fiction or something like that but it's like <laughs> it's a, it's a very like flexible thing like it isn't something he's too like keyed in on he's so much more interested in entertainment and yeah entertainment being the most the kind of the prize of it all like i'm making a thriller we need thrills i'm not interested in telling you how to feel Mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing and it's like yeah take it take it or leave it again yeah he's not yeah he if you are looking for uh a pure arbiter of justice uh fucking watch ant-man i don't know what yeah. to tell you yeah, yeah something like that <laughs> yeah but exactly. the, shoot, the shootout is incredible alabama ends up being the one to strike the final blow she shoots chris penn it really like, nasty like i've never seen a movie before he's wearing a bulletproof vest but it's like open in his side mm-hmm. so he gets shot in, like the armpit and like in the side and stuff like that what a ter- there's terrible there's so many great squid there should be an academy yeah. award for best squib because it's like it's a tie between that one and the crotch squib for poor gary oldman yeah it's but it, like in very classic tarantino fashion like, everybody dies much. Oh yeah, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> unless except Michael Rappaport, Dick except Ritchie might still Michael be out Rappaport there, and Floyd is somewhere still out there. Yeah, uh, Floyd. They're but, both. Oh my god, they should have like a movie where you just see they're still doing the same shit. Yeah, it's like Floyd. You forgot to change the toilet paper. Also, Floyd. <laughs> I saw some crazy shit. I gotta get a psychiatrist. I got PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> Clarence is dead. <laughs> oh man, sixty years later or whatever, they're just they're still there. They're like Bert and Ernie. Yeah. They're just still yeah. They're living there this forever. To kind of like so, Tarantino's original ending was that Clarence gets killed in the sequence and it's pretty mm. grim it's pretty grim yeah. it's, I uh, see, there's I, element, I, I, they shot elements of it they're on the special features on the wonderful mm. arrow, arrow blu-ray set that's now available yeah. this um but tony scott because you said they shot it kind of in order yes he shot um, it they shot it yeah they shot it kind of chronologically he fell in love with these two crazy kids yeah right through he, He's an empathetic man. It's nice. He is. Yeah, and he, be- he believes in a thing called love. <laughs> That's mm, yeah. someone said. Oh, man. Uh, Did the room just get a little darker? Yeah. The darkness. Eh. <laughs> uh, uh. And so, and I think, and I personally feel, you're talking two different movies here. Mm. And I don't think this movie becomes this perennial movie that, like, because it's so violent and crazy, but it also plays on valentine's day 
stuff yeah. like that. You know, there are girls who go out together and like cheer on Alabama. Like, I understand Tony's reasoning for kind of giving us a little, giving the audience a little joy. Yeah, mm-hmm. that these crazy kids should survive. And all Clarence gets out of it is a really rad eye patch. And a kid yeah. who looks like a mini-me version of him. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a little Vern Schroeder-esque child. I love it. Oh, that's actually, by the way, that's oh, Patricia... I, I, that's Patricia oh, Arquette's that? real... That's uh, Patricia Arquette's real kid. That's uh, Oh, cool. neat. neat. Yeah. Um, but the... Um, I love that uh, Floyd is listening to Outshined by Soundgarden as he's getting high in one of those scenes. It's really good. That <laughs> That is like great. Like, uh, what a good song to, to smoke out of a yeah. honey bear bong to. Incredible. Oh, we've been there, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was in Seattle in the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've listened to my fair share of Chris Cornell oh, under wow. the influence. <laughs> <laughs> Was I in high school with guys who played in bands? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we laid in some Stanley if you get my drift. <laughs> my friend, my friend uh, in high school worked at Toys R Us. Mm-hmm. And he sold, um, Chris Cornell would come in and buy video games. At his oh! Toys R Us. oh, that's and, so uh, funny. And uh, his, he, he would always just ask him, he's like, man, how do you like play guitar but also sing the way you do like that seems like a very difficult thing to balance out and he's like, eh, i don't know man practice <laughs> this is your uh, copy of perfect dark that'll be 44 yeah. dollars yeah and so but, i love the um, idea of cool. like yeah chris cornell playing super monkey ball very funny sold, to me I, I sold kim thale from soundgarden a copy of the planet of the apes box set when i worked at the record store I that that's was good. insane that was good 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 yeah good good, good pickup Good pickup. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good. That's so. Uh, yeah, they're just like us. The stars, they love video games. They love Planet of the Apes. Yeah, they just like <laughs> us. So, um, they survive. They move to Mexico. Oh, Alabama takes the, the suitcase of the money on the way out. It should be noted as well. Yeah. Um, oh, and the the last surviving Sicilian gangster by holding some bank teller hostage or something in the lobby, um, gives them. It's actually really really cool it works perfectly he gives them the distraction an unknowing distraction that they can escape this hotel the hotel bloodbath mm. rel- relatively unscathed yeah wait considered. so can you i could not yeah i was like so confused for a split second i almost thought that was like tom size or something i could not i had to like rewatch that scene no, like three so that times guy is the guy from the wire the greek Oh, that was Paul Van Victor. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, good, good, good. Yeah, because I, yeah. I kept like having to. Yeah, no, what a great. Yeah, that makes perfect. It, it yeah. works. It's a good. It's a good. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good uh, uh, distraction. Yeah. So they make it to the beach. She gives a speech about being so cool um, and true romance, and sums it all up for us. Cut to credits. <laughs> cut to the music. Yeah, uh, get... Patricia Arquette says uh, it was a true romance. It was a true romance, and <laughs> we had a, and a great time was had by all. As Christian Slater dances in the waves with his son, they gave the same 
haircut too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like to imagine they gave like a little like bald cap to the kid, yeah. a little Christmas yeah, later wig, I have a matching eye patch. I thought that would have been cool. Like, I took the kid's eye so he looked like me a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> One final Jokerifying moment. <laughs> yeah, but they get away, and it's like it is different though than like Badlands or Bunny Clyde or a lot of these kind of lovers on the run movies that they get they get like a happy ending. Yeah, it's weird twisted world where you and you get over it and it's like you look at whoever you watch this with you're like geez a lot happened in that movie <laughs> two hours of that movie <laughs> like it's really stuffed with cool scenes it is a cool movie i enjoyed it a lot this time around um it, tony yeah, Scott's it, direction of these of this great script is really spot on they get great performances top to bottom i think like he adds so much i don't think and i i love bill lustig all the love uh but like i don't think uh and this is this applies to most directors i think that like you don't get the roller coaster moment without him you don't get like the shootout with the feathers and the coke in the air yeah like the, like he just adds a he understands how to make movie ass movies more so than most directors most people ever in the history of hollywood yeah yeah, he's it's like an all-time yeah. tough guy. I think that this is one of his most complete movies. Um, he agreed. They all, everyone involved, seemed very satisfied with it, which makes its initial fate a little unfortunate. Yeah, it he, is a bummer. The film was a box office disappointment, and you know, to quote Martin Scorsese, our obsession with box office is repulsive. But it's mm, it's true. A, it's a noted thing. But this movie was a lower budget, twelve point six million, or twelve point five million. It only made twelve six at the box office. The movie received a ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, though. Oh the wow! Critical consensus is fueled by Quentin Tarantino's savvy screenplay and a gallery of oddball performances. Tony Scott's true romance is a funny and violent action jaunt in the best sense. I would agree with all of that. Yes. <laughs> the um, Paul Villarreal of the Arizona Daily Star called it one of the most dynamic action films in the 1990s. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone, <laughs> one of our favorites. Ooh. It's Tarantino's gutter <laughs> poetry that did <laughs> romance. The movie is dynamite. Resident <laughs> film critic bad boy Peter Travers. Yeah. Bad boy Peter <laughs> Travers. Um, Roger Ebert. Uh, gave it a positive review. The That's energy good. and style of the movie are exhilarating, and the supporting cast is superb. A roll call of actors at home in these violent waters. Christopher mm. Walken, Dennis Hopper, and Brad Pitt, for example. Um, negative review came from Washington Post's Richard Harrington, who claimed the film was stylistically visceral, yet aesthetically corrupt, whatever the fuck that means. Wait, <laughs> a, 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 aesthetically corrupt? The, aesthetically the aesthetics corrupt. are bad? You know, uh, Bob Dole hated this movie. Yes, this... Um, <laughs> this but I, you know, it's interesting. This movie is like... Certainly, like rude and crude. I mean, it's yeah. like it is going for the jugular of kind of like, can you 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 down you down with all this? Yeah, this is a Bart Simpson eat my shorts ass movie for sure. 
for sure. Yeah, and very <laughs> early 90s in that regard. Um, Janet Maslin of the New York Times wrote, True Romance is a vibrant, grisly, gleefully amoral road movie directed by Tony Scott and dominated by the machismo of Quentin Tarantino, who wrote this screenplay before he directed Reservoir Dogs, is sure to offend a good-sized segment of the movie-going population. Wow. Um, but as... You know, many people know um, the legacy of this movie is, you know, pretty strong. It's you know, Empire Magazine ranked it the 83rd greatest film of all time in 2017. <laughs> oh my god, that is like a, such an empire. It's true. Yeah. It's it's a good. It's a good. But it's also like I think. This movie looms large. It looms large, and you know, talking about things like, even if you haven't seen it, like the Sicilian scene. Drexel, the Floyd character, like they're there. They're there, and it's like, and, it's, and like I said, it's footprint. Like every movie with a guy that's always referencing fucking films in their film, you don't have that without this movie. This is like the this is the and blueprint for that. The guy, the guy, uh, the book we're reading, the Tony Scott book, which I really like. The guy was interviewed in the special features on the Blu-ray. I don't know if you caught Oh, that. I did not um, catch yeah. that. Oh. And he and he firmly believes that this movie came out in 1995 after Pulp Fiction had been released, it would have been a 100 million dollar sensation. Yes, I, I 100% I agree. agree with that. I, yeah. I 100% agree as well. It, just, it was ahead of its time. It was just um the Tarantino wave had not fully reached the the point and then it because it same with Vey with like Reservoir Dogs was like a cult movie. But the second Pulp Fiction came out, everyone had to see Reservoir Dogs. Everyone had to see True Romance. And they did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I, and I will say, too, on top of that, uh, that, like, had this movie come out after Pulp Fiction, Christian Slater would be, like, a Brad Pitt-level star still. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and Christian Slater had real personal life problems oh. which you know he had he had substance issues and that okay that makes stuff. sense never yeah. mind I, uh, it but makes sense at the okay, same I think time I... you know you have to <laughs> hand it to him you know he seems to have found levity in his personal life sobriety which is uh, important and he had huge huge success on that mr robot show he won yeah. like a gg you know he you know things are fine he's not yeah. brad he's not brad pitt I... he's not tom cruise but he's nah. fine he's yeah he, he was great on archer like i said Really good in the most recent season of Archer. Yeah, and I think and he was he was even in like um he's in Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac movie. <laughs> I mean, like he he still pops up. It's it's interesting. Um, I, yeah, I like that. Like yeah, Lars von Trier. Patricia Arquette has had a great career. Won the Academy Award for Boyhood. Mm, um, yeah, Gandolfini got Sopranos out of this thing. I mean like, and I think it probably like along with um you know Blue Velvet. Hoosiers and Speed reestablished Dennis Hopper in a big way. Um, yeah, it got Christopher Walken to continue his like cool, like crazy guy in indie movies. That like, you know, everyone, you know, may not have been in the moment, but it was like a net positive. And you know, Edgar Wright was saying it later. Like, he's like, someone asked him about um, Scott Pilgrim, and he's mm -hmm. like, "Are you are you still hurt that it wasn't a success at a box office?" He's like. It's like my most popular movie. Like, oh yeah, it took ten years. But he's like, I'm fine. Like, like these things. Like, go back to even fucking Citizen Kane. Like, usually they don't. 
Usually they're not the biggest hit in the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, and then you think about, too, like, I brought this back up in the last episode with Paul. Like, the top grossing movie of 1987 was Three Men and a Baby. And no shade to that movie, but, like, just because you're, like, the hottest the film of the moment doesn't mean that, like, that star is going to shine forever. Doesn't mean time is going to, like... You know, I mean, the Coen Brothers' most popular movie is The Big Lebowski, which was an utter box office disaster. Mm -hmm. And now it's, like, one of the most beloved comedies ever made. So, oh, yeah. I've seen that movie probably 20 times, yeah. pr primarily because I, I homeschooled for two years, and uh, Comedy Central would play that at 1 p.m. very regularly. <laughs> but I think the, um, regardless of what happened in the moment, everyone, Tony Scott, Quentin Tarantino on down, recognize that they made something special mm -hmm. this is a very very successful movie every time it plays new beverly it sells out to this day like they did a double last valentine's day which i highly recommend um true romance and mm. david lynch's wild at heart has <laughs> a wonderful oh. <laughs> That is an interesting Valentine's Day. But you yeah. know what? Yeah, the, the love's there. So, I mean, it's a huge... It's just... And I think it, like, shows... When Tony Scott's firing on all cylinders, there are very few filmmakers that really reach his level. I'm like... And his next movie might be better. <laughs> Which we're going to mm. talk about in two weeks. So, of course, 1995's Crimson Tide with Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. Guess who's also in it? How about Viggo Mortensen? How about James oh. Gandolfini returning? I mean, we got dudes, dudes rock, all over oh. Crimson Tide. <laughs> Se season of the dudes. Season of the dudes. Crimson Tide rules. Back in the Simpson Bruckheimer camp as well on that one, and we have not left Tarantino behind either, because Tarantino did some uncredited rewrites on Crimson yeah. Tide, and you will be able to tell which lines he wrote. I guarantee it. <laughs> but first, next week on the show, we take we we hit the high seas. With uh, we return to the elder brother, a man who maybe should more often, but rarely delved into the nastiness of films like Revenge and True Romance, which <laughs> which we are in love with. <laughs> um, and he went very classy with, of course. 1492, The Conquest of Paradise, the one of two dueling Christopher Columbus movies in 1992. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll get to it. Both failed miserably. So, yes. we'll see. I'm 45 um, minutes in. Patrick's watched already, but no spoilers from us quite yet on our feelings on this movie. I will say, uh, uh, there, there's... Gerard Depardieu? <laughs> I will say Dar Depardieu has one of my favorite lines in a movie where uh, he's mad about the books that people are re reading, and he goes up to a monk reading a book, and he goes, these don't mean anything! They're full of assumptions! And he just throws the book out of its... That's, it, <laughs> it's it, very it, good. It turns out, regardless of um, the less-than-heroic misdeeds of Christopher Columbus, perhaps regardless... <laughs> it's not that good of a movie material to begin with. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, uh, for the sake of entertaining movies. Um, what about an Italian guy to make a movie about? What about the dude who invented garlic bread? Let's yeah. do a movie about that guy. That guy's oh, a hero. <laughs> oh, Michael, 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 Michael. <laughs> ah. 
<laughs> what a bread. What a bread. There's a What a bread. Yes. Ooh, ooh. We're ooh, back, ooh. baby. Uh, <laughs> alongside of the high seas adventure, boys learning to be men, men learning to be boys. White Squall. Um. <laughs> I, I, I love the ending of White Squall. Oh, I'm glad we got over that White Squall. Yeah. Like, it is a, a movie that you'll watch and you'll say to yourself, man, I forgot this existed. A yeah. problem, I might forget this existed in three weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> a movie that makes you say, hey, Jeff Bridges, he's all right. He's great. Jeff Bridges, right, he's good. He's, yeah. he's, one of the, he's one of the great American actors. He really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Savage, whatever happened to that guy? Yeah. So anyway, we're, t- we're hitting the high seas next week and the week after. With Crimson Tide, hidden below deck, though, with that submarine action. Uh, mm. Exciting times on the Academy Academy. Happy to be back. Uh, if you have thoughts on True Romance, if you think we missed the point, it's just an offensive piece of trash. Yeah, well, we're bad let men. Us, let us know at the Academy <laughs> yeah. Academy podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Academy. Uh, we're trying to be more active. It's hard, though. We're not good at social media. I nah. don't know. we got to hire somebody. I don't know. Yeah, we need to get uh, an intern. We need, yeah, if you want to intern for us and post stuff. <laughs> Man, I'm happy. Go ahead, do it. I don't. God bless you. It's a lot of work, man. And the people who are good at it and who are really into it, I would say you're doing mm. the Lord's work, but I actually don't think it's. It's not fun. It shouldn't be. It's not fun for anybody. Postings, posting <laughs> post, sucks. Postings lame. Yeah, postings lame. lame. Watch movies. Don't post. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a post. T-shirt. There's a T-shirt. Watch movies. Yes. Don't post. <laughs> Watch movies. Don't post. Yes. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. So... Posting is the devil. Thrilling episode. Went long, but we had a lot to talk about. Uh, For Patrick, I'm Don. We'll see you next week on the Academy Academy. Uh, Yes, and to quote Chris Pratt in the new uh, uh, Mario movie, uh, Hey, it's me! I'm Mario! You're so cool. (laughs) Oh, what a bread. (laughs) 